If you have your copy of the scripture, go ahead and turn with me to the little tiny book of Habakkuk. As uh, we'll, we're working our way through this little book, learning together uh, some of God's strength and God's majesty and God's power overall, even through challenging days. We're looking today at verses, uh, sorry, at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, uh, through chapter 2, verse 4. We're looking at Habakkuk's question to God, why do Christians or your people suffer while the worldly seem to prosper? Something many of us uh, question even still today. If you remember from uh, last week, Habakkuk is a, a prophet uh, there in, in Israel, and he's questioning God over a few things that he just doesn't understand. And last week, he really questions, God, how long are you going to allow this sort of struggle and suffering to continue? And God simply answers to him, well, in fact, things are about to get worse. You think it's bad now, but it's about to get worse, but I'm in control, and I do know what I'm doing, and uh, I will see you through. And so this week, Habakkuk comes up with his second question to God, and uh, we'll, we'll work our way through both his, uh, his questioning of God and uh, God's response to him. But let me just, look, first of all, lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that you guide us through it now. Lead our hearts, God, and teach us your ways. Help us, God, to trust you even in uncertain days, to know, God, that you are Lord over all. And as we trust you as Lord of our lives, Lord, we recognize there may be some challenging days in there, but you will see us through, for you are forever faithful. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin by just reading Habakkuk's question in Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning verse 12. I'll read through verse 17. It says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures who have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, and he catches them in his net. He gathers them up with his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and he burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest foods. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying the nations without mercy? And I love, I'll just read this for you, the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 2. He continues on, he says, I will stand at my watch and station, and, sorry, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. We mentioned last week Habakkuk's boldness in questioning God and uh, how God doesn't chastise him for that. He doesn't punish him for that. He does put him in his place and say, look, I'm, I'm in control and I, I do know what I'm doing. But Habakkuk comes back with another question. And here says, right, God, 
we know we'll be okay. We know we'll not be destroyed by this. But let me just ask you this. You're a perfect God, holy and righteous, who can't even look on evil. So why then are you allowing the sinful people, those who don't trust in you, those who refuse to follow you, why are you allowing them to prosper and to do so well when the people who trust you are struggling and are suffering? Habakkuk is a bold believer in God. He trusts God, but he questions things still. And I actually think it's a beautiful thing because I have questions. I have some things that I don't understand about why things happen and and how things are. And you know what? We have a God who's big enough to take our questions. He is able to, to hear our complaints. Now, for some of us, We don't want to hear any more complaints. We don't want to hear any more whining or complaining about the way things are. We just want to say, just accept it and move on. Have you ever been that way as parents? You just go to your kids. You think, just stop stop whining about it. Stop complaining. Stop questioning. I remember um, we used to travel a lot when I was young. And um, we lived in Kentucky. My grandmother lived in Texas. It's about a 14-hour drive. Uh, We did it uh, at least once a year, sometimes a couple times a year. And if you've ever been on a 14-hour drive with kids, you know, it can be challenging sometimes. And there's often complaining. And one of the questions that continually comes up is, are we there yet? (laughs) For 14 hours, you have to hear, are we there yet? No, no, not there. Oh, are we there now? And it seems like it's 30 seconds in between those times, you know? And I remember I was one of those annoying kids who was always asking, are we there yet? And sometimes we, in, in, if you travel across the States... Every state you go into has a big sign that says, Welcome to Alabama. Welcome to Mississippi. And we're kind of ticking off states as we go. And I'll see this other welcome sign. I'm like, Oh, are we there yet? And I'm like, No, no, it's just Mississippi now. Or we're in Alabama and we're going, working our way across. Uh, we're not there yet. And sometimes as parents, sometimes unfortunately, we cannot be as gracious as God. And we can just say, Look, I will tell you when we're there. Just stop asking me. Uh, you'll know when we get there. Stop, uh, stop complaining because the, the trip is too long or stop complaining the way things are. Uh, stop griping. And uh, we sometimes want to cut things off. But God listens to our questions. He wants to hear our heart. Now, I, I love that because I, I didn't grow up thinking that God was that way. I actually grew up thinking that God was a bit angry and was a bit distant and he just did what he did and you just you just deal with it and and live with it he didn't care what you think well that's not that's not the god of the bible the god of the bible actually created us to have fellowship with us he wants to know our hearts and he wants to lead us in what's right yes and he's going to lead us in, in what is right and what's best but he cares about us along the way he loves us and he he he's okay to hear those questions he's okay to say god okay i know you're going to be faithful i know you're in control but let me just ask you about something. There's something here I just don't understand. And Habakkuk does this. He begins actually by saying, God, I know that you're in control. In, uh, in verse 12, the beginning part, he says this, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Here, he, he reminds Bill Israel, even of uh, the Psalms of David, like Psalm 103, verse 17, that says, From everlasting to everlasting, The Lord's love is with those who fear Him. God, you're that God. You're that God who you are forever. 
You are a timeless God who love those who fear you, who love those who follow you. In Psalm 103, verse 8, says, The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I love how Habakkuk begins by reassuring himself of these things. God, you're that God. Although we're in the midst of terrible times and terrible suffering, I know that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. You're the God who's timeless from everlasting to everlasting, who love those who follow you. And so I know we'll not be overcome by this. Verse 12, part B says this, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Now, in a sense, that seems to be contrary to the first part of the verse, doesn't it? God, you, you are that God who's everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. You've always been, you always will be. You're a God of love, you're a God of grace. And then you've sent them to punish us. You've sent them to judge us. And he gets this even from in chapter 1, if you remember. Verse 6, God says himself, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up the Babylonians who will come and conquer you and destroy the cities. Now, in ancient Israel and in ancient Near East, judgment and, and ruling were almost synonymous because the king of the land was also the judge. And he uh, not only cared for his people in love, but he, he made the decisions about what was right, what was wrong, and what was best. In the New Testament, um, the, the Greek word, which is used for, for divine judgment, is often implied as, as negative, and so it's translated things like doom or destruction or punishment. But the ancient understanding is more of uh, a judgment in love and care, in that God, you know what is best, and you have sent this punishment on me because this is something that, that you are doing to, to correct me or to lead me or whatever it might be. But God, I know that you do love your people and that you are leading us through this for a reason. But then he says this, but I understand all that, but I have to ask you. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, I think this is one of the most common questions we hear in the church today. We are taught by preachers on television and over the internet that if you just live by faith, everything will work out for you. And the blessings of life the blessings of God will be evident in your life. If you just have faith, if you just trust God and try to live for Him, then your life is going to be full of blessings. Now, in Western culture, we especially equate blessings as financial structures and, and support. And we have all that we need and all that we want. If we just trust in God, then we will be blessed. But sometimes, in fact often, Life seems to be opposite to that, doesn't it? There are people who love God and who are faithful to Him. They're trying their best to serve Him. They're trying to use their gifts in a way which is honoring to Him. They're, they're going to church and they're reading their Bible and they're, they're doing all those sort of Christian things saying, God, I'm, I'm trying to follow You. I'm trying to be faithful. And yet it seems like 
nothing goes right. It seems like everything is falling apart. And yet, we all know people who refuse to acknowledge God. They say they've, they've, they're doing things by their own power, or their own way. We have some who acknowledge other gods and say, no, it is by this God or, or this God that I do these things. And we see those people seemingly thrive and do well. And you think, why? Why would those who live in sin, those who are, are living against God's will, seem to thrive while Christians are struggling? 13b says, Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, it's not saying that Christians aren't sinners and Christians don't fall because we do. But it's saying, his question is, why does it seem like those who are trying to follow you, God, are struggling while those who are against you are doing so well? It says, and then it describes that type of person. It says, he thinks that his nets are good and they provide lots of fish, and so he worships his nets. Now, this seems almost comical, I guess, someone kind of bowing down and, and worshiping their nets. But here, he's talking about people who, who they, they, seem to, they think that they're getting things on their own. They think that they're doing things because of some idol or, or false god that they worship. And so they're following his teachings, and they seem to be thriving, God. Why is this? We live in a world in which we see this all the time. The most extreme end is probably, at the moment, radicalized Muslims around the world who torture and persecute and do unimaginable horrors to Christians in the name of their God. And they seem to be prospering and, and growing and thriving in that. And so they continue to do the same. They continue to do this in the name of their God. We see, at the moment, on a less extreme end, but we see politicians in America who seem to thrive off putting down others to make themselves look better. And what should be behavior which is appalling for Christians is now acceptable and is even glorified. It would seem often, in fact, that those who are not honoring to God, but are doing things in the name of some other false god or are doing things in the name of, of themselves who are not honoring our great God are actually thriving. Why? Well, let's look at God's response then. Read with me in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. God responds and says this, The Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous live by his faith. God's response don't worry. Don't worry. There will come a day in which 
all of history, all of what seems so important now is coming to a close. And judgment is coming. God has said, vengeance is mine. He has promised the people of Israel, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will be faithful to my promises. And when Habakkuk questions, God responds, I will be faithful. I will deliver. Now, this beautiful verse in, in uh, verse 4 says, See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Sounds like a simple statement, isn't it? But the New Testament actually uses three separate verses, three separate contexts to try to describe what all this verse means. First of all, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, For in the gospel, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In verse 16, just before that he had said, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. So he's saying he is righteous. And he is able to provide our salvation. He is is strong enough and big enough. He is righteous, the only right one, who can see an end to sin and bring about our salvation. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul again writes and he says, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. That it's not just that God is righteous and is able to save, but it's our faith in Him. We can't do it on our own. We have to trust in the God who's able to see us through, the God who's able to provide for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, it says, By my righteous one, sorry, but my righteous one will live by faith. He calls, the, in Hebrews chapter 10, he calls the Christians to persevere under the, the struggles and the, the sufferings that they must endure in that, that early church. And he says in, in chapter 10, verse 37, He who is coming will come and will not delay bringing people back even to Habakkuk's prophecy here in chapter 2, where God says to him, look, I'm not just going to say it to you, but say it to all the people. Write this on a, a big sign that you can carry through the streets to say, God will send someone in his appointed time. He will bring deliverance when he is ready. And though it may linger, wait for it, because it will certainly come. And will not delay. Now Habakkuk, for Habakkuk, this deliverance would have meant the destruction of these Chaldeans due to their rejection of God and how they've lived. In the book of Hebrews, talking about the return of Jesus Christ, who will make all things new, who forever will honor those who put their trust in Him to give eternal life. And those who have rejected God, those who have chosen not to put their faith in Christ, will be separated from God for all of eternity. You see, we are so limited in the way we think. We, we're so controlled by time and, and space. We can only kind of think in the years that we know or, or, or the, the stories that we've heard from the past. 
We think in short time frames, but God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's an eternal God. He says, look, this weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The suffering may be for a, a time and a season, and it may be challenging, but I will be with you through it all, and I will bring you through the other side. I will give you life, eternal life, in a place with no more suffering and no more pain, no more tears and no more sin. And those who, who are in the wrong and those who are refusing to follow God, it may seem like they have success by the world's standards, but judgment is coming. For any who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who do not trust in God will be separated from Him for all of eternity. Here's this um, great quote from, from Bromley that I was reading this week. It says, The faith prescribed here is, is saying the righteous will live by faith. The faith which is prescribed or faithfulness is still called for as a basic response to the unanswered questions in today's universe. We sometimes don't understand how God works. In fact, we often don't understand God's timing and God's ways. What we can understand is that He is a righteous King, a gracious judge, who knows what's best for us and loves us as His dearly loved children. And He leads us through to what is best. He leads us through the challenges. And we have to fall down at times. We have to be punished at times. We have to be corrected at times and to be led in the right way. But God will do that in a way which brings strength and brings grace. And He will see us through it all the way. He is that Father who loves His kids and He doesn't want to to do anything that would cause pain. He doesn't want to ever see tears. He doesn't want to see them upset. But He also knows that He has to correct and He has to guide and He has to, to lead through some struggles sometimes and through some tears and through some hard times to see His son or His child grow up to who God wants them to be. To see them be the respectful and blossoming person that He's created them to be. God loves you. And He wants what is best for us. And sometimes, although we wish it was never the case, Sometimes that means we struggle. Sometimes that means unimaginable things are allowed. And this world is a, is a sinful and fallen world. And those who do not follow God are going to continue to live in that sin and they're going to continue to do unimaginable things. And God is strong even in the midst, but He gives us that free will to choose Him or to not choose Him, to follow Him or not to follow Him. But He says, those who follow Him... Live by faith. They trust in Him that He knows what is best, that He will see them through. And He will deliver. He will come through. He will bring about that salvation. And though, although we may struggle for a while, although hardship may endure even for a lifetime here of struggle and of challenge, He brings life and peace and hope. God may allow us to go through incredible times of struggle. If God brings us to something, God will bring us through it every time. And it may seem like non-Christians are those who choose not to follow God, can trust in their achievements, or that God seems to lack response to what they're doing. 
The joys of this life are temporary. They're just for a moment. But the judgment is for all of eternity. The sufferings of this life, likewise, although they may be intense and a struggle, are, are just but for a moment. We have a God who is strong enough to see us through. He will be with us and be our strength and be our shelter even in the midst of the hard times. And the blessings of this life are nothing compared to the glories that we'll see in paradise with Him, in heaven with Him. A place free of struggle and free of tears, free of sin and pain for all eternity in God's presence. The righteous will live by faith. It is by God's strength, His holiness, His majesty, and our faith in Him that we have life, eternal life with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You and I praise You that You're a God that can be trusted. Although we don't understand Your ways sometimes, although we don't even appreciate Your ways at times, God, we know that You are the righteous King who wants what's best for His people, but God, we know that You're a loving Father who wants to lead us through even the challenges of life and see us through and walk through it with us to guide us and to lead us, to form us into who You want us to be. And God, we thank You that the Gospel is the power of God for salvation. For those who trust in You can have life and peace and joy which is beyond anything this world will ever know. And God, we know that although the challenges may, we may be forced to endure for the night, for a season there may be struggle. But God, for all of eternity, there will be peace and joy and grace and love in your arms. Thank you, Lord, for the deliverance that you provided for us through Jesus Christ. Help us, God, even in the midst of the struggle, to trust you. Help us, God, when it seems like those who don't trust you are doing so well and the people who love you are struggling. Help us, God, to trust you, our great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.